Thank you, Grant and Michelle. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11 in our Bibles this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ lives inside of you if you have received him as your personal Savior. And as they just sung, Jesus, the greatest treasure of our hearts. And uh, you think about that. Um, God lives within us by his Son, by his Spirit. And uh, there is no greater treasure than that. I hope you'll join us tonight, 6 o'clock. We'll be looking at the doctrine of Christology. We talk about this treasure that we have in Christ. We'll, we're going to look at it in one evening, which is an impossibility. But um, it'll be a wonderful snapshot. I think it'll be a blessing and encouragement to you as we think about the treasure that we have in Christ. So I hope to see you back tonight if you're able. When I think of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think about his, his sacrifice for us. I think about his love for us. I think about his life. I think about him living inside of us. I think about him sitting on the right hand of the Father and interceding for us as our great high priest, ever interceding for us. I think about him coming back someday to set up an earthly kingdom of which there will be no end. and He will rule and reign forever and ever. And even though I think of all those great and mighty things, I cannot get away from the fact that he is very personal and he is a dear friend. And uh, he lives within us and he consoles us and comforts us. He convicts us. He leads us and guides us. He encourages us. And one of the ministries that God has given to us, to you and to me, no matter how old we are, no matter uh, how long we've been saved, is God wants the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, through us to console and comfort one another. He wants us, he wants to use us to encourage one another. Um, and I want to look this morning at a, a man and some characteristics of this man. His name means son of consolation. He was an encourager. He, uh, he exhorted his brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I see that he's a servant. He's very giving. We'll see this in the passage in the book of Acts as we look at him this morning. But, but his name is Barnabas. And there's not a book of the Bible named after him. He didn't lead the people of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery. He, didn't, uh, he wasn't there when the Red Sea parted. Um, he didn't write any books of the Bible. He didn't pen down any of the books of the Bible. He wasn't in the lion's den like Daniel. Um, the Bible doesn't say a lot about Barnabas, actually. Very little about him is said. But I want us to look this morning at what is said about him. Because when I look at Barnabas, I see Christ, actually. And God used Barnabas to do some amazing things. In fact, so much so that God used Barnabas as a result of Barnabas' ministry. We see that, that someone who had fallen, uh, someone who the Apostle Paul didn't have any use for, God used Barnabas to restore this man to the ministry. Um, on another occasion, we see that Barnabas 
the church comes to him and basically says, we're sending you out to go. And this is your mission. Go do it. And Barnabas was a servant. And Barnabas lived during a great deal, a, great, uh, a time of turmoil, a time of persecution. The church was being scattered. Um, Barnabas actually reaches out to Saul before his name was changed to Paul. At a time, the Bible says, when everybody else was scared of it. The other believers, they heard that he had trusted Christ as a savior. And Paul had act, or Saul at that time, his name still called Saul, was starting to teach that Christ was the Messiah in the synagogues. The very same man who had persecuted believers. And the believers heard about this happening and, and they kind of wondered, is, is, he, is, it this, uh, is he faking it to draw us out? And Barnabas, Barnabas actually goes to Saul. And he teaches him the word of God and he uses his own influence to bring Saul into the church. And Saul, his name is changed to Paul and God uses him to pen down much of the New Testament. But Barnabas never penned down any of the New Testament. But he was an amazing individual. And I think what amazes me most is that I'm able to see the Lord Jesus Christ in Barnabas life and everybody else could see that, too. And my encouragement to us this morning is that God would use us to encourage one another. We're living in a day, and it's not an unusual day. I think it's unusual to us. Uh, we balk at the idea of a new normal, right? We balk at that. Um, it's not an unusual day, though, historically. God's people have always needed encouragement. We always have. You know, this week was a, a unique week in my life. Um, and there were several people within the church, probably three or four people over the past week and a half or so. And a couple emails came my way and they were long. And uh, but they were good. And a couple phone calls came my way. And those were long, too. But they were good. And in those emails and in those phone calls, truth was spoken Grace was given. Transparency was there. Love was there. Humility was there in every one of those situations. And God used those individuals to help and encourage me, which led to decisions being made that I think will be honoring and glorifying to the Lord. And as I pondered those conversations and there have been more than that over the years and over throughout my life. I was, my mind was drawn to Barnabas. Now God used this man to encourage his brothers and sisters in Christ to do what was right. So let's look at the passage. Acts chapter 11 is where we're going to be at. I'll begin reading in verse number 22. Acts 11, verse 22. Acts chapter 11, verse 22. Look uh, we'll, we'll begin in verse 22. I'll read down through verse 26, and then we'll pray. It says in verse 22, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that is, the believers there, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Look at verse 25. 
Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Now notice the result. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Let's pray, and then we'll look at this man and what it looks like to be an encourager. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, and not just in these days, but throughout our lives, how faithful you've been to us, how true you have been to us, when so often we have not been faithful to you. And yet, Lord, you have patiently worked with us, through us, and in us. And Father, I thank you for your love for us and your faithfulness to us. I pray now that you'd bless your word in our hearts. And Father, I pray you'd accomplish what we need. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I read recently as uh, William's getting ready to start Little League baseball practice on Tuesday. And he's all excited. He asked us the other day at the dinner table. He said, so do you think I'll make the team? And it's uh, Swartz Creek, 8U, or 8 years and under Little League. And of course, as long as you pay the fee, you make the team. Okay. And so he was a little, little bit of nerves there coming into his first Little League baseball practice. And uh, said, yeah, we don't think you have a problem making the team. And uh, I remember reading recently about uh, a story that, uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but the, the story went like this. This gentleman was walking by a Little League baseball game, and he stopped in and to watch a little bit. And one of the boys was on the bench, and he leaned over, and he said to the little boy, he said, uh, what's the score? And the little boy said, 18 to nothing. And, uh, and uh, the man said, who's winning? And the boy said, the other team is winning. And, uh, and the man said to the boy, he said, well, you don't look discouraged at all. Uh, you're, very, you're, you're, you're not discouraged at all. And the little boy said, why should we be? We haven't gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> you know, uh, so I don't know when that would have taken place with the, the mercy rules that are in play today. But... Um, you know, we're not always as encouraged as that little boy, are we? As we go through life, <laughs> we haven't gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> we're not always that encouraged. We, we, we ought to be, but we're not always. Life is challenging and without question at times. And the truth is that we all need encouragement. We need encouragement. Um, all of us here, I imagine, have been encouraged by other brothers and sisters in Christ at times. And we could, we could talk about how we have been encouraged. Maybe someone uh, helping us with something. Or maybe a word spoken, uh, fitly spoken. Sometimes the word is a word of encouragement. And what I mean by that is it's more positive in nature. But sometimes we're encouraged, we ought to be encouraged, when the truth is spoken to us, even though it may hurt a little bit, or it may cause humility or humiliation a little bit in our lives. I've been encouraged in that way. And we all need encouragement. And this man, Barnabas, was an encourager. He was a man who gave hope. He was a man who gave support. He was a man who comforted others. And I want us to be a church of people like Barnabas. I'll tell you that. And why? Because he was a man like Christ. And I want to look at at the life of Barnabas. The Bible doesn't say much about him. But I think there are three characteristics that I've drawn from the life of Barnabas that I'm going to highlight to you this morning. Um... 
and I'll begin by saying it this way, an encourager, an encourager, and I see this in Barnabas' life, offers what he has to God. An encourager, if you, if you and if I am going, if we're going to be encouragers, then we're going to, ha- we're going to have to offer what we have to the Lord. Christ did that to the Father. Barnabas did that, and we'll see that in the passage. You can turn to over to Acts chapter 4. We're going to look at a couple of different passages. I want to be an encourager to God's people. If I'm going to be able to encourage the body of Christ, then I'm going to need to follow Christ's example. If you're going to be an encourager to the body of Christ, you're going to have to follow Christ's example. I think one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible was, is John 3.16. You even see it in the end zone, right, in a football game. Somebody will open up a sign, John 3.16. What does it say? For God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. He gave his only begotten son. That's right. And of course, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the end goal was that we, the aliens from God by wicked works and sin sin and rebellion, that we would receive everlasting life. But it required that God give. And God did give. He gave his son, and his son gave his life. Believers who truly follow Christ give sacrificially. It's just the way it is. There's no way around it. It's impossible to be a follower of Christ without being willing to give sacrificially. That doesn't mean that we, in everything we do, we give sacrificially. But there are times and moments in our lives where a believer is called upon by the Lord and led of God to give sacrificially. We're going to see this in Barnabas' life. He was willing to give to God. And and it's interesting in what we know of Barnabas, and it's just a snapshot, but I see a number of things about him. He was generous both with his material wealth as well as his life, everything that he was. Romans chapter 12, Paul put it this way, and the Spirit of God spoke through Paul, and he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Here in Acts chapter 4, look at verse 36, and I notice that this encourager, Barnabas, was generous with his material possessions. Look at verse 36 of Acts chapter 4. It says there, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I'm not asking or preaching this morning that we should go sell whatever land we have and bring it and Put it at the pastor's feet. That's not what I'm preaching at all. But the simple truth is this. Barnabas was a very generous individual. It's interesting. If you continue to read in Acts chapter 4, you'll, if you read on even into chapter 5, the very next passage starts talking about Ananias and Sapphira, who also sort of sold a portion of land and lied to the Holy Spirit of God about what they were giving. They were not as generous. But Barnabas was a generous individual. He sold his land and he gave the money to the apostles to further the ministry of Christ. That is what he was after. That was what was at the core of who Barnabas was. He wanted to further the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to do so in that situation, I noticed Barnabas 
exchanged something that was temporal, something that God had entrusted into his care, but he exchanged that which was temporal for something that was eternal. And I noticed this about an encourager. He doesn't withhold his wealth from God. How many of us understand this morning that everything that we have has been given to us by God? How many of us understand that everything we own, God has given to us and he's entrusted into our care? In Matthew 6 and verse 21, the Bible says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I do not, I bring this to your attention this morning in Barnabas' life because the Bible says so little about him that I'm drawing on everything that the Bible says about him. And this is not a time where anyone should feel like they're being disciplined because, no, God is blessed and Trinity Baptist Church is giving well. And frankly, it's an amazing, glorious, wonderful thing. And I praise God for it. So there's no rebuke in these words, but simple truths to remember. But I notice in Barnabas' life, his treasure was in heaven. And he understood that. His treasure was the glory of God. And so his heart was with God and his heart was for God's kingdom. Why did Barnabas bring the price of the land and lay it at the feet of the apostles? Well, the apostles had a mission. And what was their mission? Matthew 28 tells us in verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And we're going to see this in Barnabas' life. He's actually, though not an apostle, merely a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, like many of us in this room, learners of Christ, followers of Christ. We're going to see that Barnabas actually is going to submit to the authority of the local church and he's going to go into places to encourage and to teach fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to know the Lord better and to love him more and to be sincere and honest with God. He was a man of faith, but he was an encourager and he was a man who trusted God in his giving. Barnabas wanted to be a part of what God was doing the Bible says a lot about giving. In Luke 6 and verse 38, the Bible says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet or give with all, it shall be measured to you again. Malachi 3 and verse 10 says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that, where, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I mean, this was the way Barnabas thought. I also noticed that Barnabas, when we think about him being an encourager who offered what he had to God, I I also noticed over in Acts chapter 9, look over there, that an encourager uses his influence for the Lord. Now, all of us here in this room have influence. Every single one of us have influence. Uh, we have some junior high young people here today. You say, you know what? I'm in the youth group, but I'm I'm the low I'm the low man on the totem pole in the youth group. You know, I'm not a senior, I'm not a junior, I'm a seventh grader. Do you know that you have influence? Every single one of us in this room have influence. How are we using our influence? Are we using our influence to encourage 
our brothers and sisters in Christ to trust the Lord? Are we using our influence to to hold one another back? Maybe even to lead into sin. Or are we using our influence to encourage, to exhort our brothers and sisters in Christ to do right? To love the Lord with all of their heart, soul, and mind. To trust the Lord. To walk by faith. How are we using our influence? Look in chapter 9 of Acts in verse number 26. Acts chapter 9 and verse 26. I'll read verses 26 and 27 of Acts chapter 9. Look in verse 26. It says, And when Saul... This is his name would be changed to Paul. You know him as the Apostle Paul. When Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed or attempted to join himself to the disciples. Now, how many of us, what would we say if someone in the area trusted Christ as their savior and they attempted to join themselves to our church? What would we say to that? Welcome. Yeah. But look what happens here. But, in the middle of verse 26, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Now, he had just been saved. And he wants to come and he wants to gather and he wants to assemble with God's people, the followers of Christ. But they're afraid of him. They're afraid of him. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas, he wasn't an apostle. Sometimes some of us may think, you know, well, I'm not a pastor or I'm not a deacon or I don't hold an office of some kind. Barnabas didn't hold an office. He's just a born-again child of God, a man who was, who was willing to use his influence for the Lord. That's what he was. And, and Barnabas, when the church says, you know what, you can't, you can't join with us. We're afraid of you. We don't trust you, Saul. Barnabas goes to Saul, and he takes him before the apostles, you know, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, right, and the apostles. And he brings them, and he says, listen, This man, Saul, is a learner of Christ. This man is born again. He's preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And he uses his influence within the church in a powerful, powerful way. Um, Now, why were these believers afraid of Saul? Look back to chapter 8 in verse 1 of Acts. Acts chapter 8. We say, well, why the church didn't didn't embrace Saul? Why wouldn't they embrace Saul? Well, look at chapter 8 and verse 1. The Bible says there, and this was before he was saved, and Saul was consenting, that is, he was pleased with it and approved it, he, he, he consenting unto his death, and, it, and, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, verse 2 And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Why? As for Saul, he made havoc or devastation, ruin of the church, entering into every house and hailing men, dragging men and women, committed them to prison. 
this is who Saul had been. He was a Pharisee, Pharisee of the Pharisees. He had stood there um, with uh, the garments, the cloaks of these men who were stoning Stephen, you remember, that godly deacon who had spoken the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ in that town. And they dragged Stephen out of the city and they picked up stones and they stoned him. And Saul, the Pharisee of the Pharisees, stood there and watched Stephen die. Now we read that story and we say, well, Pastor, I already know that story. We have deacons in our church. This is not a story we've lived. But can you imagine if during the announcements this morning, I told you that one of our deacons this week was speaking the name of Christ and telling people about the Lord and they hated him so much, they grabbed him physically and dragged him out of the workplace and they picked up stones and they killed him. And in the room, as I'm announcing this to you, you can hear his wife weeping and the children are crying. And why did Stephen die? Because he was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and he was a faithful witness and a faithful testimony. See, we read this story and we're like, yeah, yeah, we've heard this before. But this was a real, this was the experience of this church. And so when Saul, when they began to hear, Saul has believed upon the Lord. And Saul wants to gather with us. They were saying, no, no. It's very possible that Stephen's wife was in that church. And now the very one who had him killed was going to come and gather with the church. How would you handle that? And they did not, they were not handling it well. Look over in chapter 9 and verse 1. Chapter 9 and verse 1. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, any believers in Christ, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Saul, we know of him as the Apostle Paul, but Saul was everything in him. He was using every resource he had to destroy believers, to take their lives, dragging them by the hair out of their houses, having them beaten, having them stoned to death. I mean, you realize what's happening here. And so it's no wonder that when the church hears about him being saved, they're resistant And yet Barnabas realized that Saul's conversion was real and he used his influence to bring Saul into fellowship with the church. And you realize here the the mercy and the grace Barnabas was exemplified. It was generous of Barnabas to put his own reputation on the line for Saul. It's impossible to encourage followers of Jesus Christ without being a follower of Christ ourselves. Think about that. That That's a very simple statement, but... Think about it for a moment. It's impossible for you and for me to encourage those who love the Lord and want to follow him. It's impossible for us to encourage them if we ourselves are not willing to follow Jesus Christ ourselves. Because if if I'm not willing to follow Christ myself, then I'm going to be a discouragement to those who want to follow Jesus Christ. And so as we think about this idea of being an encouragement, we ponder Barnabas' life and how he was an encourager and he he bears this mark of of being a generous man and offering what he has to the Lord in his material wealth, but also in the area of influence. 
I have to ask myself the question, while I want to be an encourager, I know that I can't be an encourager if I'm not really surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ myself. Do I want what he wants? Because as long as I'm going to live for myself, I cannot be an encourager to the children of God. Jesus was giving. He gave his life. And I imagine that Barnabas' generosity had a huge impact upon Saul. Don't you? I mean, think about this. He saved. What would Saul have struggled with when he was first saved? When he finally came to the realization that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. And, and Paul so fervently and hatefully had murdered everyone who named the name of Christ. What would Saul have struggled with? Guilt. Oh, he would have struggled with guilt. To want to assemble with the church. To look at the widow of Stephen. Maybe having dragged away pastors. Or other believers. And now to go into the assembly. The amount of humility Saul would have had to have had. Oh, he would have struggled with guilt. Oh, he would have struggled with shame. The chief of sinners, he called himself. No wonder. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. He had wronged them all. Barnabas was giving to Saul. What did he give him? He gave him forgiveness. The church was hesitant to do that. They didn't trust him. He gave Saul truth. He would have given Saul time. He would have given Saul kindness and love. He gave him trust when others would not. Barnabas, he's a giver. He gave financially. He gives influentially. And it all adds up to being an encourager. An encourager gives to God. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 27, the Bible says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Every one of us here have been entrusted with different amounts of abilities, different amounts of wealth, different amounts of influence. And every one of us has differing degrees of what's in the power of our hand to do, but I dare say that every one of us has within our own grasp the power to do wonderful things for the glory of God. What I'm saying to us this morning, let us do what God has given us. With what he has given us, let us use it for his glory and let us give. Let us be, an, let us be encouragers. C.S. Lewis put it well when he said it this way. He said, quote, I'm afraid biblical charity is more than merely giving away with that which we could afford to do without anyway. End quote. True, genuine, Christ-like love is more than just giving away what we don't need, what we don't use anymore. Be an encourager, be giving. I also noticed, secondly, in this pat or in the in the book of Acts about Barnabas, number one, an encourager offers what he has to God. Secondly, an encourager serves the saints. How many of us here would say, you know what? I think it's an honorable thing to be called a servant. That's an honorable thing. Who wants to be a servant? In other words, the person who is there waiting uh, for the beck and call of whoever is the, the owner of the home or whoever's in charge. How many of us want to be that way? Be that way? 
Some of us as husbands. How many of us as husbands are like that with our wives? Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Would you like anything else, dear? Can I get you this, dear? I'm going to go out and mow the lawn. Is that okay with you, dear? And I'll be right back and I'll have dinner on. I mean, how many of us operate like that? I do have a brother-in-law who's similar to that. and He really makes me sick. So, Luke, if you tune into this, now you know. I've told him that before. I said, you know, you really make it hard for me. You come over to visit. And it's like, wow, Luke, thanks. Can't you just, it's time for you to go, <laughs> you know. You're setting an awfully high bar. He's a good, he's a good husband to my sister. Um, but a servant, uh, we don't normally look at it, at the, I think of the idea of a servant as being an honorable or something that we would want to attain to. That goes against our nature. But look at chapter 11 in verse number 19, and uh, we'll get to this thought. But the church actually tells Barnabas, they actually send him on a mission. And his mission is to go and to serve and to exhort and encourage these believers who are hurting. Look in verse number 19 of Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 19, it says, Now, they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Of course, that was because they had been told to the Jew first, and then also the Greek, verse 20. And some of them, which were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So here it's going to the Gentiles as well, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Now, I want to pause to say only this. This was all happening under an intense time of persecution. They were being forced out. They were fleeing for their lives. But as they were going, they were preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think they were sad? Yes or no? Yes. They were leave, They weren't taking everything with them. They were taking what they could. They were fleeing for their lives. They were leaving their communities, which was everything. Their local communities were everything. It meant their business and their friends, their places of worship. They were fleeing for their lives. But as they go, they're preaching Christ with everybody that they meet. Look at verse 22. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem, And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came and had seen the grace of God, that is the unmerited favor of God amongst these people, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. I'm going to stop there. Barnabas was a servant. The church came to him, and when they heard about these things, they came to Barnabas, and they said, we want you to go. We want you to minister to these people who are hurting, these people who are being scattered. We want you to go. And what was Barnabas' response? He did it. He did it. He was a servant. Uh, You know, we can use our influence in, in a good or a bad way. Barnabas was a servant. The same mindset will lead us to be generous with our finances To be generous with our influence, it will also lead us to be generous with ourselves. He says yes, and he goes. Our time, our abilities. and, And I should ask maybe it this way. What has God given you to do? 
Will you serve him with what you have? Serve him with what you have. Serve him with everything that you are. We have some in this congregation and you're older in life. We have some in this congregation who are young. Serve him with everything you have. You and I did not live in this time in history. Barnabas did. Barnabas served the Lord with everything that he had. God has blessed each of us differently. Some of us have musical abilities. And I appreciate Grant and Michelle singing for us. They they have to get together and Leah plays and they practice. Or Mrs. Scott preparing for the congregational singing. I don't want to ask her how many hours she puts into that. You know, we're singing away, belting it out. And and, uh, we may or may not notice her or Mrs. Freiheit at the organ. But these individuals have put time and effort and they use what they have to serve us and to serve the Lord. I, I appreciate that. What is it that God's given you? Has he given you time? Some of us say, no, he hasn't. He hasn't given me any time. I don't have any time left. And that may be true for where you're at. You are running out of time. You have nothing left in your week. But others have a lot of time. Use it for the Lord. How about, do you have organizational abilities? You can organize things. Some of us can't organize our way out of a paper bag. But some of us here can. You're phenomenal organizers. Use it for the Lord's glory. Be a servant. Use your organizational abilities within your local church, in your life for the Lord. How about understanding and wisdom? Some of us have more of that than others. Use it for the Lord. How about experience? Boy, I was blessed this week. One of the phone calls, the individual called, and the phone call had to do with an experience that he had had years ago. And he recounted it to me. And God used his experience to encourage me, you see. Use your experience for the glory of God. Your age, you say, yes, age, I don't, I'm, I'm at the end of my life, I'm old. No, you have experienced a lot. And you have a perspective that some of us do not have. Your life is not over. Use it for the glory of God. Serve the Lord with what he has given you. And the question, I suppose, is this. Are we willing to serve others with what God has given us? There's a hymn, and I'll read it. I'll not sing it. Take my life and let it be consecrated. And listen to it as I read. He says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. At the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Always only for my king. Take my silver and my gold. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart. It is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. My heart. It shall be thy royal throne. I dare say the individual who penned down those words was walking with the Lord. When he finally came to the point in his life when he said, Lord, I am fully surrendered. And I am fully submitted. My heart and my hands and my feet, 
my treasure, everything that I am, Lord, they belong to you. I want to serve you. I want to do your will with everything that I have and all that I am. That was Barnabas. That was Barnabas. I once read this statement about how we can tell if we have a servant's heart or not. I believe a lady made this statement. She said, a good way to tell whether you have a servant's heart is how you feel towards someone who treats you like a servant. Dad, I can remember growing up and you'd send me on a mission to go get the hammer, go get the circular saw, go get the different things. What was my attitude? What was my attitude? My dad was not being abusive. I was younger and had a lot more energy. Use it. <laughs> Go find a nail or whatever it was. You see, we are, who are saved, our followers, were to be followers of Christ. Christ was a servant. He lowered himself. And the question is, are we truly lowering ourselves? Are we humbling ourselves? In Matthew 20 and verse 26, Jesus said, Whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be, a chief, will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, a genuine follower of Christ is willing to serve. Look at verse 23 again in Acts chapter 11. And notice how, how as Barnabas served the saints, it meant that he exhorted them. Look at verse 23. It says, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Um, the word exhorted has the idea of to beseech or to entreat, to call near. And he, what did he call them to do? He said to cleave, which was a very personal and close bond with the Lord. And then he says, with purpose of heart, that, that is with hearts that are open, that hope that with hearts that are honest, he's saying, with hearts that are open and with hearts that are honest, I want you to cleave unto the Lord. I want you to get close to God and I want you to stay close to him. That's what these believers needed to hear. That's what these believers needed to do because they were being sifted like wheat. They were being persecuted. And notice how God used Barnabas' words in his life to encourage these believers. Look at verse number 24, the latter part. It says there, and much people was added unto the Lord. Now Barnabas, what did he do? He went and found a group of believers who were scattered abroad under intense persecution. He exhorted them to be sincere with God and to get close with God and to stay with him and walk with him and be patient with him and trust in him. And guess what happened? a bunch of people who were unsaved began to follow the Lord. You see, when you and I, as God's people, trust Christ, it actually leads people who are unsaved to trust Christ. But when you and I, as God's people, do not trust Christ, and we do not trust the Lord and what he's doing in our lives, it actually can cause other believers to stumble, and it can actually cause the world in which we live to stumble and balk at following Christ themselves. Did you notice the character of Barnabas in verse 24, the beginning part there? It says he was a good man. When we, when we say that in our day, to call someone a good man is almost to not put a whole lot of thought into it. You know, he's, yeah, he's a good man. He's a good guy. But in the Bible vernacular, to call someone a good man is a very high 
sense of praise. It speaks to a man's character and his integrity. Uh, it's impeccable. It is high. Also, it says there of Barnabas that he was full of the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? It means that, that Barnabas was completely submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ in his personal walk with God. That's what it means. Ask yourself the question, are you fully submitted to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ inside of you? I mean, completely. That, that was Barnabas. Then it says he was a man of faith. That is, he took God at his word. He was walking by faith and not by sight. He wasn't trying to work everything out by sight, but he was willing to trust the Lord. Now look at verse 25, though, in verse 26 as well. Serving the saints means encouraging one another. Look at verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. Here he's after Saul again. Verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the, with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. This is an amazing statement. And, and I can't help but notice here, Barnabas doesn't take a wait-and-see approach with Saul. He goes to him. Now, wait a minute, some of the believers are going to say, Barnabas, what are you doing? Barnabas, I don't agree, but not Barnabas. He goes to Saul. He's still using his influence to be an encouragement. What are some of the ways that you and I can encourage one another? Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 12 says, The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. Proverbs 16 and verse 24 says, Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. In Proverbs 16 and verse 21, the Bible says, The sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. That is, truth taught in an encouraging manner is effective. And he goes to Saul. He encourages Saul. He finds him. He brings him to Antioch. And for one year, they teach the people there. And what is the result of Barnabas' attitude? What is the result of Barnabas' example of encouragement? Look at verse 26, the very last part. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. What a guy. Just, just, just being an encourager. And he goes and finds Saul and he brings him to Antioch. And for one year they're there and they study the word of God together. And you know what the unsaved world said? The believers didn't call themselves this. The unsaved world looked at that assembly of believers. A man by the name of Saul, a Pharisee. And, and, and this guy, Barnabas, who's an encourager in this assembly of believers, and the Lord works so mightily in their heart, hearts through Barnabas' encouragement that the unsaved world looked at that assembly. You know what they saw? You know what they called them? Little Christs. What do our co-workers call us? Do they see Christ in us? The unsaved world looked at them and they began to call them Christians, little Christ. They saw the love of Christ and they saw the holiness of Christ and they saw the forgiveness of Christ. And they saw the goodness of Christ and they saw the graciousness and the mercy of Christ. They saw all of these things because of an encourager. Finally, I noticed this. An encourager seeks to bring restoration to others. An encourager seeks to bring restoration to others. We're living in a time when believers, things are being shaken up. Just yesterday, Phil was talking to me a little bit about this last year and 
how things, it has changed things. And we've seen this within our own assembly of believers and others have joined us. People in our world today, you know what this last year has done? For some, it has caused, for some, it's caused them to say, you know what? Um, I don't know that I do believe this. And I'm going to go my own way. And for others, this last year and this uncertainty has caused other people who were not necessarily following Christ at that time, it's caused them to reevaluate their lives and take inventory and look at the word of God and consider who God is and the creator and, and the, what the word of God says about him loving us and sending his son. And others have said, you know what? I do believe that. And you know what? I'm going to start following the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop playing around and just going through life, living for myself. I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to love him and I'm going to follow him and I'm going to learn of him. So it's been, there have been good things as well. But you know what? There's a lot of people who are hurting. And there's a wonderful opportunity for you and for me to be encouragers. Not just to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but even to the world in which we live. To speak the truth in love. Galatians 6.1 says, If a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one with a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I believe it was back in the 1990s, British Airways Flight 5390 experienced a high-altitude crisis. The pilot of that passenger plane was sucked out of the cabin window. They were at about 23,000 feet when it happened. The pilot, Timothy Lancaster, had just pointed to his house in Abingdon, and there was this loud explosion. It blew out the windshield, and the pressurized air of the cabin's uh, leaving the, the, the fuselage out that window, it sucked him out the window. And there he is, his whole upper body hanging outside of the, the jet as it's cruising along at 23,000 feet at about 320 miles an hour. Several of the aircraft's 81 passengers said they watched in horror as crew members frantically wrestled to pull the pilot back into the cockpit. And at one point they were talking about the possibility that they may have to push him out the window to free up the controls of the jet. The co-pilot shouted to the others, hold on to him if you possibly can. They were able to readjust the captain's body just enough to fly the plane, and the jet went into a dive, and with half of Mr. Lancaster's body hanging outside, the co-pilot flew the aircraft towards Southampton Airport, about 70 miles from London. Crew members who clung to his ankles for the 15 minutes were encouraged by the co-pilot who kept yelling repeatedly, hold on with all your might, we're almost there. They finally landed the plane safely in southern England and Mr. Lancaster, Captain Lancaster, was taken to the hospital suffering from shock, a fractured elbow and wrist and frostbite on one hand, and he lived. You know, Barnabas in Acts chapter 15, there's an interesting statement that's made. In fact, it's, it's sad to me. But in Acts 15, and we'll close with this. Look at verse number 36. Acts 15, verse 36. says this, And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, so they're still, going to, they're still working together. Paul says to Barnabas, Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Verse 37, And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark, John Mark. Barnabas says, well, let's do that. We'll take John Mark with us. 
Verse 38, but Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the word. Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul says, no, I don't want him to go with us. Well, why not? Well, do you remember back in Pamphylia where we wanted to go serve the Lord there? John Mark bailed on us. He didn't go. He wouldn't come for whatever reason. He wouldn't come. And Barnabas would have said, well, I think he should go this time. We should take him. And Paul said, no, he's not going with us. I don't think he should go. And Paul and Barnabas, you think about what Barnabas did for Paul. They disagreed. Look at verse number 39. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other. Isn't that sad? Paul and Barnabas, they, they don't agree, and so they're actually going to split ways. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed unto Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren under the grace of God. And so Barnabas and Paul, they break up. Barnabas takes John Mark and he goes one way, and Paul takes Silas and he goes another way. And the point of this is not to draw negative attention to the passage of Scripture, but I want you to notice something. Barnabas, even at this stage in his life, Paul, Paul had no use for John Mark. I got no use for him. He's no good to me. He had his chance. He blew it. It's over. Not Barnabas. Barnabas said, no, he's coming with me. A lot like when Barnabas said, you know what, I'm going to go to Saul. And the church had said, you know what, we don't want him. We don't trust him. And Barnabas said, no, I'm going to Saul. I'm going to take him to the apostles. And I'm going to bring him back to the church. And he's going to become a part of the church. And Barnabas is still doing this. He's restoring John Mark. And I tell you again today, there are people within this congregation this morning whose marriages are in jeopardy. And they need an encouraging word. And there are people within this congregation, young people who are being tempted on different fronts and maybe succumbing to temptation and they need mom and dad, they need some encouragement. And there's some parents in this room and children, you can encourage your parents. They're brothers and sisters in Christ who need encouragement. We need to seek to restore one another. You know, years later, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. You know what he says? He says this. He says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark, speaking of John Mark, and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Barnabas was an encourager. Paul, he gave up on John Mark. I got no use for him. Barnabas said, I'm not giving up on John Mark. And you know what? We ought not give up on one another. And maybe like the co-pilot said, with this pilot hanging halfway out the fuselage, saying, "On, hold on, we're almost there. Hold on with all your might. And that's what I'm saying to you this morning. Let's be like a Barnabas. And let's encourage one another. And let's strengthen one another. And let's hold on to one another. Because we're almost there. Let's pray together.